This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. everyone and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris and this is At Home in My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. And now for this week's episode, Xenophobia and Diversity. I took a lot of anthropology courses in college. My degree is in liberal studies, which required three areas of specialization, which all had to be from different colleges within the university. The point of liberal studies is a well-rounded education rather than focus on a single area of specialization. It's a classical model of education that's based on the concept of a Renaissance man, someone well-versed in many areas of study. By the time I graduated, I had quite a bit more credits than was necessary for the liberal studies degree, and in fact, it wasn't my first declared major. The more a person learns about a particular topic, the more their view of it changes. With deeper understanding of complex systems, paradigm shifts are common. A composer or musician listening to a song is not hearing the same song as someone who has never played an instrument or studied music. And once something is learned, it's there. I often see people making broad and ignorant claims about human culture and society, and a large part of what drives these errors can be summarized as someone mistaking their cultural norms for inherent human conditions. While we're young, we often make the mistake of assuming people will like the things we like. Humans are pretty good with theory of mind. We understand there is agency in other people as well as ourselves, and it helps us as a social species to understand ourselves and others. It's not difficult, based on the role that comprehension plays with us as a species, to see how these types of mistakes can be made. In general, many children like ice cream. As a child, if I have some ice cream and I want to do something nice for my friend, I offer them some of my ice cream. Most often, my friend will be happy to share my ice cream, and it's rare I'll encounter someone who says they don't like ice cream. When the world is small, these types of assumptions are more often reinforced than not. As we get older, however, we begin to encounter more people who are different than ourselves, and more diversity in general. Different cultures, with different foods, and music, and art, and even different beauty aesthetics. Most of us can easily grasp this reality intellectually, but how we respond to it is another matter. Some people find diversity interesting, and they immediately jump into new experiences. They're bold about trying new foods, new drinks, new drugs. They have the ability to look outside their culture and see another culture that they understand has similar constructs as their own. So, this is their food, this is our food. We both have food. It's just different. 
Others, though, have to contend with something labeled xenophobia. This is general dislike or prejudice against another culture or society. It can come in extreme forms or very mild forms. In the West, we have a history that is steeped in it. Our entire model of civilization is a list of cultures that were encountered, judged as less than, and then destroyed. Some were driven to extinction. Some had their cultures stripped and were then assimilated as lesser people or citizens, denied equal rights directly through the law, or denied equal access to opportunities through social constructs. All of this was done because of a colonial attitude that was more about civilizing different cultures than respecting them. Words like savage and brute were used to describe clothing, sexual relations, family structures, war methods, religious beliefs, just about anything that didn't fit the Western stereotype of what a civilization should look like. Today, some people still exhibit open hostility to different cultures. Here in the U.S., we're seeing a rise in nationalism, which often comes at the expense of any cultures or subgroups that don't fit the dominant cultural expectations or narratives. This is what many people are concerned about with this latest current development. If I'm not a person who's identified as part of the dominant culture, and that culture expresses itself in a way that makes judgments as better or best, that can sometimes be a sign of bad things to come. Xenophobia is not always expressed through open or overt hostility, though. Obviously, the worst-case scenario would be physically violent oppression, but it can also be expressed more mildly. When a student begins taking introductory courses in anthropology, one of the first things professors try to get them to do is to become aware of their prejudices and assumptions. Many students, I'd say it's probably safe to say all of them, come into the field with ingrained ideas about human beings that are actually only a reflection of cultural norms that have never been questioned. If I've never seen something done a different way, I'm far less likely to envision other ways of doing it. It's always been done this way is a box mindset that is often denounced in business paradigms. But there's a reason people have to constantly be reminded to question everything. Because we so often walk through life questioning very little compared to all there is to question. Introductory courses, then, are designed to shock students out of that mode of thinking. It's just a toe in the water, but when students can lower their guard a bit and learn to not instantly judge different as not good or even as better, but just different, they're more open to learning about other people, other societies, other cultures, because they learn to question their own society and see it as one of many, not the best one that sits on top of a ladder of social evolution that culminates in Western models. I was about to say it's a lot like evolution, a tree, not a ladder, but in fact, it is evolution in action. Social structures are diverse ways in which humans have adapted in different regions of the earth. Social evolution is happening all the time as people adapt to environment or resource stresses or whatever else is thrown at them, including competition from other cultures. A few years ago, I went with a friend of mine to a small farm town in Illinois to attend a cultural event there known as the Spoon River Festival. 
The festival is a celebration of Americana crafts, historic reenactments, down-home country cooking. Several towns participate, and it's done as a scenic drive from town to town, where each town trots out their wares to show off for their neighbors and the visitors like me. The town that played host to my visit was a little place called Bushnell, and everyone I met there was lovely. They were hospitable, generous, friendly. Even when we discussed politics, a topic about which I'm certain we did not agree. The area I was in was so remote that one night I was told I was going to be treated to pizza, which required a 20-minute drive into town to go to the only pizza parlor in what was probably a 50-mile radius. The friend I was with loved sushi, and we'd sometimes go for sushi here in Austin. I have no clue how sushi even came up in the conversation, But one of the folks I was staying with asked me if I knew what they call sushi in their neck of the woods. I did not, and so they informed me. They call it bait. Again, keep in mind I'm giving examples here that are supposed to be mild. The extreme examples would be genocides. The mild examples are comments like these. They don't just acknowledge what's different, but they cast one society as better. While it's true that bait in the U.S. is made up of raw fish, there's an additional implication that these people are eating a type of food that people in the U.S. might view as byproduct, fit more for animal consumption than human consumption. I have recently come to find recipes that use what is normally considered byproduct. I made watermelon rind candy and also watermelon rind stir-fry. I'm also looking into cooking with banana or plantain peels. I've also started looking into informational sites like Eat the Weeds and discovering that my yard is full of plants that can be used for teas and consumed as food. Here in the U.S., we use them as landscape plants or consider them weeds, like purslane or spiderwort. But in some cultures and subcultures, these are seen as consumables. And the concept of subculture brings up another important point. Xenophobia is a concept without boundaries or borders. We draw lines on maps to distinguish one country from another. But even within a nation, or a culture, or a small neighborhood or community, there are subcultures that can be subject to these types of judgments. The sitcom Big Bang Theory raises this issue all the time, often pitting the concept of cool culture against nerd culture in judgmental ways that society in the U.S. can relate to. I'm not saying that these judgments are the end of the world. I'm just saying it pays to be aware of them. Sadly, much of the globe was dominated and subdued over centuries by a handful of similar cultures, and we lost irredeemable amounts of cultural knowledge and history. Many of the cultures that were devastated or utterly destroyed had no written language, and whatever records remain are those of the conquerors or those of interested parties who managed to catalog these groups before their stories on this planet ended forever. By deleting these societies, the dominant cultures were able to smash competing narratives. Instead of, our model of marriage is best, the narrative became, this is the only model of marriage. Instead of, this is the best way to define family, the narrative became, this is the only model of family. Instead of, ours is the best religion, the narrative became, ours is the only true religion. 
And while it's easy to say, but there is more than one marriage model, or there are many religions, once we begin to do a deeper dive into the substantial diversity in these areas, we start to see that the few we're familiar with are just the tip of an iceberg. With all of this in my mind, I began to think about all the things I had learned in cultural anthropology that grate against many of the assumptions I see commonly in the United States and sometimes more broadly in the West. In future episodes, I plan to introduce some high-level cursory discussions about common assumptions I encounter most often and share some stories and information that I hope will broaden some perspectives. I've often said I think more people should take a few anthropology courses, but since that's not likely, the next best thing I can think to do is share some of my key takeaways from what I learned that have impacted me the most in my own life with regard to my own assumptions. I look forward to sharing with you in the future. That's it for this episode of At Home in My Head, exploring life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe, be well, and never stop exploring.